welcome back to an interview with podcast series from the social investment business. I'm Charlie and I'm here with Nick and today we're talking to Matthew Taylor from the RSA. Hi Matthew, um, can you tell us a bit more about the RSA's work and how that fits in with the big society? The RSA is currently focused on the question of, of how to enhance human capability. Our view is that to flourish as citizens in the future, uh, we need as a whole to be more engaged, to be more uh, resourceful, to be more pro-social. So the question for the RSA is how is it you encourage people to live the kinds of lives they need to lead if we're going to create the kind of future uh, that we want? And the second part of our thinking is about trying to understand what it is that drives human behaviour. So over the last 20 or 30 years there's been lots of insights into human nature, human motivation. So in order to understand how it is you can enhance human capability, you need to understand what it is that drives human behaviour. Is it hard to be objective about conservative government policy and ideas for the sector when you used to run the number 10 policy team in the Thames left? I came out of government feeling very strongly that what I was interested in was change that was driven by citizens at the bottom up. Uh, and my first speech here immediately after coming out of government was about that and said that we needed to think about change in society through a kind of uh, we need to think about citizen centric change rather than government-centric change. So that's what I emerged from government being interested in. And the big society is in that, came, so that same kind of space. When I was in government and when I came out of government, we used to talk about behaviour change, which is a rather kind of more mechanistic uh, concept. But it's not that different. It's about how is it you encourage citizens to, as it were, step up to the plate and be the people they need to be to create a better future. So there's continuity. And you, you were talking a little bit about the RSA's mission. In, in the times that we're in now, how do you think kind of social purpose will be embodied going forward? I think there's quite a profound questioning going on in society at various levels. Uh, I think, for example, that I meet so many young people who want to be entrepreneurial and they want to get on, but they want from the very start of a strong sense of social purpose in their work and in their lives. And I think that's something which is still true throughout society. I think that... Uh, Change happens because it has to happen, but it also happens because people choose it. And I think that the idea of people, the idea of a more ambitious model of citizenship brings together a kind of instrumental view, which is that we have to change. Uh, that if, as a society, we are going to have the kind of leadership that makes the right decisions for the long term, uh, if we are going to live the kind of lives we need to lead, lead in terms of sustainability or in terms of challenges like population ageing, or simply how is it we maintain the fabric of society if we're not able to increase, if we're having to reduce public spending. Uh, these things require us to change. On the other hand, David Cameron said at number 10 a few weeks ago, a reception I attended, that one of the reasons we should give more back to society is that that is the secret to living a fulfilled and satisfied life and I think that's true and that's a concept of course that goes back to kind of Aristotle it's a it's a kind of recurrent theme in political philosophy so I think that this argument about uh, how we how we respond to not just austerity but to a whole set of other challenges has both got this kind of instrumental element that we have to it's also got this normative element which is that actually being fully engaged feeling a sense of efficacy and resourcefulness and giving back to society is the way to live a contented life and there's lots of research happiness research which shows for example that people who volunteer tend to be happier than people who don't. There's a kind of cause and effect question there. But it looks as though people who do live lives of good citizens tend to be people who enjoy their lives more.
And we've also mentioned austerity there and the various cuts, and there's lots of concerns in the civil society sector of these things. I mean, what concerns do you have for the sector, given the current economic climate? I think the, the biggest and most pressing issue is that it looks as though, as the government cuts public services, it may take the soft option, the easy option, which is to protect core public services, education, health, policing, um, and at the same time as cutting the overall budget that goes to local authorities, for example. And the danger, therefore, is that what goes is, is, is the non-statutory part. So that's public domain, you know, parks, streets. It's preventative work. It's community work. It's youth work. So the danger is that the way the cuts are implemented, all the kind of stuff which actually does help to form to blur the boundaries between the state and civil society is the stuff that gets cut back. And I think that's the really, and we had a conference call yesterday, um, and that was the recurrent concern. I, I think people at the moment like the big society idea. They get behind it. They recognize that there's a huge amount of capacity in society that is unexpressed and unexploited. But their worry is that the people who are best able to to lever that capacity are the people who may be most likely to lose their jobs in the next few months. Are there any areas in kind of social enterprise or social innovation which you think are untapped at the moment, things that people could be doing, that social enterprises could be doing that they aren't? I think there's a really rich mix of factors at play which suggest the possibility of um, a kind of tide of exciting innovation which are basically take the form of social enterprises uh, providing public services. And those factors include young people who are talented, entrepreneurial, and want to make a difference, but they have got a strong sense of social conscience, but also they're interested in business and want to work in a business side way. The growing interest in social investment and people trying to explore forms of social investment and the kind of sense that there is a female market of people who are willing to, to, to back social investment. Uh, it's the growth of payment by results systems, which mean that people can come along and if they can demonstrate that they can do it better, then there's an income stream uh, uh, for them. Uh, it's the government's commitment to devolving power, because you know, this stuff doesn't happen unless you've got a reasonably devolved system where people can take risks and where you can have local variation. And there's technology as well, because I think technology cons constantly makes possible new ways of doing things and thinking about things. So, so you put all those factors together, technology, people who want to do this, social investment, devolution, payment by results, and you've got a really rich mix. The metaphor that I used yesterday was the kind of cooking metaphor, was that these are all the ingredients in the pot. But for the ingredients to kind of fuse into something which is kind of tasty, you need the oven to be at a certain temperature. And that the oven is money. There has to be some money for innovation for uh, front-end investment. Um, you have to ch get change the regulatory framework, because whatever the government said, whatever its good intentions are, it's still the case that regulations and rules must be difficult, be experimental, and risk-taking, have local variety. And thirdly, public opinion is going to be important in this, because if we are going to change the way we do things quite radically, there's always the scope for the media in particular to be alarmist about this, and for people to worry about postcode losses and all those kinds of things. So we're going to have to have a public that uh, recognises the importance of experimentation and different forms of decisions. 
so we've come to the, the quick fire question now. So I'll ask you a, it's a series of very quick questions and you'll just say the first thing that comes into your head. Digestive or hobnob? Uh, the third way or big society? Ooh. <laughs> Both. Audio or video? Video. No, that's not true. No, audio. I prefer radio to television. Art or science? Science. iPhone apps or Facebook apps? I'm too old to answer that question intelligently. Um, both. I'm these are all cool questions are both so far. The only one that's really I wanted to choose was digestive. I don't like digestive. Football or politics? Obviously, again. <laughs> I'm a complete new lad. So, I mean, poli politics makes me less miserable. When, when West Brom lose, I get miserable for two days, and then I hate the fact that I get so miserable about my football team losing because it's so pathetic. After the 2005 election, West Brom um, were involved in this thing called the Great Escape, which is where they bottled bottom the Premiership on the last day of the season, and they fought it to get relegated, and they won, and all the other three teams lost. So they went from being bottom to being fourth bottom, but it's called the Great Escape, and we stayed up with 34 points, which is the most that anyone's ever stayed up with. And uh, um, I went into work the next week and Tony Blair said to me, because I was going on and on about it, and Tony said to me, you know, sometimes, Matthew, I think that you care more about West Brom staying up than us winning the 2005 election. And I said, Tony, I care more about West Brom staying up than the 2005 election, the 2001 election, and the 1997 <laughs> election. <laughs> X Factor straight from dancing. I, I really can't abide either of them, but I find, I suppose I find X Factor slightly more compelling, but I really don't like the fact that I find it compelling. I think it's kind of really unpleasant. So actually, I'll say strictly from dancing because it's less... <laughs> There's less emotional hysteria involved in it. And that concludes an interview with Matthew Taylor. Thank you for speaking with us today. Um, and don't forget to check out the website uh, www.thesocialinvestmentbusiness.org forward slash an interview with and our Twitter feed, which is at the social invest um, for when the next instalment comes out. And to find out about the RSA, you can visit, visit their website, which is... Just put RSA into Google and don't go to Runs.Royal Sun Alliance. <laughs>